Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today, we are focused on Joaquin Marietta, the famous Mexican bandit from the Gold Rush era. Next week, I'll be posting an interview with the editor of the LA Review of Books on the history of Russian immigrants in Los Angeles. So please stay tuned for that. Let's jump right into today's topic. Before we leave the Gold Rush era, it's important that we cover in a little more detail who is Joaquin Marietta. We discussed him briefly with the historian Susan Lee Johnson, but Marietta plays such an important role in the history of California and more broadly in the historical memory of this period and region that he deserves his own episode. And hopefully if you listen to that particular interview, one of the things that you might remember is that the history of this particular person is somewhat fraught in that there were possibly many Mariettas and that details of his story are so tied up in myth it's hard to extract the facts. Today we're going to discuss more of the myth and how the myth was created than the historical personage as the myth of Joaquin is as true as the historical figure in the sense that his struggle represents many people's struggle and that the themes of his life reverberated then for others in that particular period, but also continue to uh, reverberate today. So before going any further, let's start with what we know. We do know that Joaquin Marietta was born in Mexico. We also know that he was baptized in Sonora in 1830. We also appear to know that Marietta immigrated with many other Mexicans to California in the 1840s uh, to try and strike it rich in the gold mining fields. Like many other non-European and non-Anglo-Americans, Joaquin likely suffered under the laws that were passed to disenfranchise non-white miners. Now here's where we get into legend, at least partially. Either the original Marietta or more likely a group of Mariettas raided up and down the San Joaquin and Sacramento Valleys uh, by attacking mining camps and settlements. Another aspect of the legend was that the governor put out a reward for Marietta, which seems like there's some historical evidence for. Um, the historical evidence also indicates that a group of California ranchers did hunt down a gang of Mexican outlaws and beheaded someone that they claimed was Marietta and put his head in a jar. We're going to pivot here to talk about some of the fictionalized accounts of Marietta to talk about his lasting influence. First, we will start as close to the historical personage that we have, which is in fact the first published novel in California and the first published novel by a Native American, um, and perhaps the first novel to have a Mexican protagonist. The book is called The Life and Adventures of Joaquin Marietta. Let's talk first about the author. The author's name is John Roland Ridge. Ridge's mother was a European-American from Connecticut, and his father was a member of a prominent Cherokee family. Ridge's father and grandfather, in fact, were so prominent that their names were on the treaty that ceded the eastern lands of the Cherokee people to the United States government. Ridge's father was later assassinated, apparently directed by a famous Cherokee leader, although that wasn't proven. After being sent to private school, Ridge dabbled in poetry and started a law practice. He ended up killing a man he thought was involved in his father's assassination attempt and then escaped to the West to avoid prosecution. Like many of our vignettes, Ridge did not enjoy mining life and returned to writing soon after. 
Like many people in the West, he read the stories in the newspapers about Mexican bandits and the legendary Marietta. His book, The Life and Adventure of Joaquin Marietta, was published in 1854. In the 11 chapters, Ridge transforms the terrifying image of a violent Mexican bandit, known in the papers as Joaquin, into a likable character, not someone necessarily to be feared. In the story, Marietta finds success as a gold miner, unlike most people, including the author. He also finds love, community respect, and the ownership of land. The story begins with an initially falling in love with the people and the idea of America. The feeling is not reciprocated, though. Many of the whites in the mining communities develop resentment toward Marietta, feeling that he didn't deserve more success than them. Eventually, this leads to an attack where Marietta is bound and forced to watch the rape of his wife. This event causes Marietta to leave the mining community to do something safer, farming. However, his bucolic existence is again disrupted by violence. He's attacked again by more vigilantes. After moving, he is accused of stealing a horse, which was in his half-brother's possession. The reasons given to explain the possession of the horse are rejected, and Marietta is whipped and his brother is lynched. Ultimately, this causes Marietta in the story to have a John Wick-style moment where he feels backed into a corner and is forced to use violence. Much of these brutalities resembled the violence he had not only seen in California, but also the violence he had seen in his ancestral home on the East Coast with the Cherokees. Marietta's sidekick and foil in the story is Three-Fingered Jack, a caricature of the opposite of Marietta, a mindless, amoral, violent human being whose only drive is more and more carnage. In many scenes in the novel, Three-Fingered Jack takes pleasure in enacting violence beyond what is necessary or useful. This contrasts with Marietta, where he uses violence with purpose, to save people or exact reasonable retribution. In sum, Ridge's book sought to draw broader moral conclusions about what transpired in the time around the Mexican-American War and the Gold Rush. The goal of Marietta's violence is to end violence, which ultimately means to remove some settlers from California. In some ways, he is in fact country building or nation building and creating resources and wealth for his people. For Ridge, this was a way to imagine justice, to carry out violence against his oppressors without actually enacting it himself. Now, Ridge, we should say here, is a complicated person. While he saw the injustices that many mining communities enacted on non-white people, he did interestingly support and trust the government to follow up in protecting those same communities. Later in life, he supported Southern sympathizers in the Civil War and fought to get the Cherokee Nation recognized as a separate state by the U.S. government to no avail. Now we're going to pivot to talk about corridos. The corrido is a popular form of Mexican song that is accompanied by a guitar and regales people with a story of popular folk heroes. These songs tend to be ballads, which means they detail romantic visions of the world where heroes achieve positive ends. They deal with emotions and are often very melodic. The word, in fact, comes from the word, Spanish word to run, and they originated in the Mexican Revolutionary periods um, during the Mexican War of Independence in 1810, and then resurfacing 100 years later in the Mexican Revolution. Before the introduction of mass media, corridos served, as educa- served educational purposes and served as oral traditions 
for isolated rural communities. But even well into our modern age, corridos have made a comeback, dealing with modern themes around the border, corridos that cover cartels and aspects of the drug trade at the border, um, and then trap corridos, which even blend elements of hip-hop into this traditional music form. We're going to look specifically at El Corrida de Joaquin Marietta, which is a corrida that highlights the vaquero lifestyle and romantic hero motif that we've discussed. I'll read lyrics from this particular corrido and pause throughout to discuss and contrast the themes included here. First verse says, I am not American, but English I understand. I learned it with my brother, backwards and forwards. I make any ango tremble at my feet. In this first verse, we are given an image of Marietta in opposition to something that he is in the midst of, a culture that he understands but also rejects and wants domination over. Second verse reads, When I was barely a child, I was left an orphan. No one gave me a bit of affection. They killed my brother, and some cowards killed my wife, Carmelita. Here, right in the second stanza, we are given the crime that propels him on a journey toward becoming the outlaw legend. He's also described as an orphan, which shows his isolation and apartness since the beginning of his life. Verse 3 now. I come from Hermosillo in search of golden riches. I defended the poor and simple Indian with fierceness, and the sheriffs put a good price on my head. Hermosillo is the capital of the area called Zacatecas. He quickly turns from pursuing his own riches to protecting indigenous people in the story and becomes an outlaw for that. Verse 4. From greedy rich, I took away their money. With the humble and the poor, I took off my hat. Oh, what unjust laws to label me an outlaw. Here we see him in opposition to an unjust empire with unjust laws, and therefore a villain only in a world where laws do not make sense. We also see this quasi-Robin Hood motif of him stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Now here's verses 6 and 7. Marietta doesn't like to be falsely accused. I come to avenge my wife, and I say again, how they made my lovely Carmelita suffer so much. I entered many a saloon, punished Anglos. You must be the captain who killed my brother. You found him unarmed, proud Anglo. Verse 7. My career started when trouble, from troubling circumstance. When I reached 700, my name then was feared. When I got to 1,200, my name terrified others. The hyperbolic descriptions of how many people were killed by Marietta is a way for him to posture and create the fear of his name. Verses 8, 9, and 10. I am the one who dominates even over African lions. That's why I set out to kill Anglos. My destiny is no other. Beware, countrymen. Pistols and daggers are mere toys for me. Bullet and stab wounds, hearty laughter for me. Now, with their means cut off, here they scatter in fear. I'm neither Chilean nor a foreigner to this land I tread. California belongs to Mexico because God wished it so. And in my stitched serape, I carry my baptismal certificate. Here, we arrive at the question of land and nationalism. He sees himself as a liberator against the Yankee oppressors who stole his land. And now let's come to the last two verses, uh, 11 and 12. How beautiful California is with its streets aligned, where Marietta passed by with his well-trained troops, his pistol loaded, and his silver-plated saddle. 
I have traveled in California around the year 50 with my silver-plated saddle and my pistol loaded. I am that Mexican known as Joaquin Marietta. This song captures both Marietta as the man, the myth, but also the representative for a nation, for the Mexican nation. The feeling that we get from the song is that the land has been taken and the people who have taken it are an unjust people who have unjust laws. And these unjust laws take advantage of the poor and the weak. And only with someone like Marietta can we return that order that God ordained. The Ballad of Joaquin Marietta is performed like many folk ballads, and if you go to YouTube, you can actually find performances of it there. Next, we'll talk about a popular cultural manifestation of this character called Zorro. Many of you have likely seen the movie with Antonio Banderas as Zorro, but we need to go back a ways from there to the creation of Zorro as a character. The creation of the character goes back to the fiction writer Johnston McCauley. Born in the Midwest and trained in his understanding of law and order from his work as a police reporter, Macaulay mastered the pulpy dime novel. The character that we will call Zorro was meant to be a one-off story. Published in 1919, the story featured a main character named Diego Vega, who donned a mask and went by the name Zorro, which means fox in Spanish. The story originally was serialized in a magazine called the All Story Weekly, which was a pulpy magazine that featured highly readable stories that people may have read on lunch breaks or after dinner like modern mystery and crime writers today. The same publication also introduced the character of Tarzan. The novel was published, though, as a complete collection in 1919 and quickly turned into the silent film called The Mask of Zorro the next year. While inspired by the mythology of Joaquin Marietta, the book and the subsequent movie make some consequential changes to the narrative and the characters. First, the story is moved back into a time before the Mexican-American War. It is set among the still active mission system, and the villains are not the gold miners who have arrived in California to take advantage. Instead, the villains are members of the Mexican military. Also, we have a very different protagonist, one that lives a double life between at once Don Diego Vega, a wealthy Californio, and at night avenging wrongs in a mask. Unlike the orphaned Marietta of the Corrido, Zorro is a noble aristocrat and not a lower-class Robin Hood. So this is one vision, a new vision, and ultimately a different vision, strikingly, uh, than the two previous versions we've looked at. Next, we'll look at how Joaquin Marietta is portrayed by Pablo Neruda in a play called The Brilliance and Death of Joaquin Marietta. The plot runs along similar lines to Ridge's original telling of the story. However, the origins of Joaquin in this version of the legend is that he arrived in California from Chile in 1850 for the gold rush. After arriving in San Francisco from South America, Marietta is immediately met with hostility. In this story, the opposition to Chileans, Mexican, and other non-whites are a group called the Greyhounds and are led by a man who represents Uncle Sam. He's referred to in the Spanish as un caballero tramposo, which has a lot of negative connotations, mostly around cheating and deception. The gang that attacks him is dressed like the Ku Klux Klan in the narrative. Just like in other versions of the story, Marietta's, at this point, fiancé, who's in the story named Teresa, is raped and murdered by the gang, who want to broadly rid California of non-Europeans. 
The story ultimately ends in tragedy when Marietta avenges his murdered fiance, but loses his life in the process. The play, with a character called the poet, speaks offstage, saying, quote, Your fate mingled bloodshed and gall, Joaquin Marietta, but its sound is still heard. Your people repeat both your song and your grief, like a tolling bell struck underground. End quote. Now, the context of the poet Pablo Neruda uh, surrounded Chilean nationalism and the U.S. involvement there. In the 1950s and 60s, the United States began a concerted effort to influence the political outcomes in presidential elections. Under the U.S.-backed leaders in Chile, tariffs were lowered, which allowed for imported U.S. goods to flood in the market. In 1964, the leftist candidate, who was opposed vehemently by the U.S., lost a presidential election after the CIA intervened in the media and provided resources to his opponents. Neruda saw parallels in the way Marietta opposed U.S. imposing in the land that was not its own. The last version of this myth that we will discuss in this episode is the long poem by Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez titled I Am Joaquin. Gonzalez was a boxer, activist, poet, and organizer. He was born to immigrant parents in Colorado. His parents had immigrated from Chihuahua, Mexico. His father imparted the importance of his heritage and encouraged him to understand his identity as a Mexican-American. He had a successful boxing career and then moved into political organizing, working first for the Democratic Party before eventually working on issues related to his ethnic community. Gonzalez wrote the poem Yo Soy Joaquin to create a new race, or raza. The poem moves from historical accounting of an individual's life to using him as a mythological character that represents Chicanos. The general thrust of the poem deals with how Chicanos fit or don't fit within U.S. culture and how they are able to best maintain aspects of their culture. The poem gives a 10,000-foot view of Mexican history as well. In this poem, Joaquin's identity is blended with the identities of famous Mexican revolutionaries from the past. And we'll end the episode with a quotation from the poem that captures these themes that resounded in this episode. Quote, I look at myself and see part of me who rejects my father and my mother and dissolves into the melting pot to disappear in shame. I sometimes sell my brother out and reclaim him for my own when society gives me token leadership in society's own name. I am Joaquin. I must fight and win this struggle for my sons, and they must know from me who I am. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.